be in this, but it's you're right. EVs and some of the tech in cars now, it's not like you know our dads or whatever. Oh my gosh! No, you go, so son. Here's different. what we do: we crank it up here. Now you pull this plug, like. And then I always just hit this with the wrench, <laughs> right? And <laughs> a it couple worked. of times, and it then worked. that'll do it. I remember my late father-in-law had me changing. We changed my transmission fluid one time. Wow! Here's the gasket. Here's where we clean That's out. That's bold. Well done. <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't much help. He was trying. <laughs> hey, Toronto, get down. I'm like, hey, man, I don't. I don't this is your You thing. don't need to teach me, man, because I'm never going to do this myself. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Vetrano. Coming up on 612 here on this Wednesday morning, Wisconsin's Morning News. You know, it's been six months since this story first broke, and it hits me a little bit because my kid is about the same age. You remember the story from Madison, Dane County area? A kid named James Yoblonski, 13 years old, who hasn't been seen since June when he left home with his family's van and never returned they were looking at a state park for yes. him, right? Is that the one? The van was later found near Devil's Lake State Park. They found campsites, which indicated to them, and clearly they must have learned this from the family a little bit too, just from what he was searching or talking about or whatever, that he was trying to live as a survivalist. Well, now it's been six months. He's still gone, and they still have no idea where he's at. His dad talking to Channel 3000 WIC-TV in Madison. Every day is harder and harder. Because you wonder where he's at and if he's safe. You know, I just want him home safe. So that's Bill Yablonski there. So here's something new that I did not know. And obviously, you've known this uh, from covering stories for the last however many years, Vince, that whenever something like this happens or whenever there's a domestic situation, the first suspect is always the spouse, the parents, you know, someone who's close to the kid usually is the first suspect, right? Well, in this case... I didn't know this, but police actually investigated Bill Yablonski, the dad, and they actually put him on a polygraph just to see, okay, let's make sure that dad isn't involved in this disappearance. Those things don't hold up in court. Well, interesting you say that. They did talk to the cops about that. We feel confident based on our investigation, Bill Yablonski was was not involved in now, that's uh, the investigator involved there. I'll get you his name in a second. But what basically, I, I'm sure there's been other investigating done, too, not, not just reading you know, the piece of paper that prints out during a polygraph. But I found that fascinating. Hey, you, you got to run them just to see what happens, right? And he, so if you believe in the results of a polygraph, regardless of how, whether it stands in court or not, if, if, if you're trying to find your child and you know you didn't do it and had right. nothing to do with it, I suppose you would say, yes, let's... I understand why you have to ask. I appreciate that. Let's get you you're off of that scent, off of that trail, so you can focus on... But would you be worried at all on how you act? Of course you would. Like your eyes are darting around, would they misinterpret something? Again, assuming you're fully innocent, yeah. and you want to agree, and you want to cooperate, you still would wonder, like, <laughs> when you go in there, how am I not nervous? How do right? I not appear shifty or, or whatever? So Drew Bullen is a detective at the Sauk County Sheriff's Office. He's the one that said that they've cleared the dad on this. Dad, they're hoping anything can come from this. Maybe another public tip. Feel in my heart that he's still alive. Yes, I really do. And he's a tough kid. I know he, I know he could do it. If he had to do it, he could do it. $10,000 reward for any information that could bring James home. 614, Brendan Snide has sports coming up next. 
time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. After bouncing the Bulls in overtime on Monday, the 16-7 and Milwaukee Bucks will face off with the team that knocked them out of the NBA's in-season tournament, the Indiana Pacers, a team that Bucks guard Damian Lillard knows will show up to play. You know, we know that they're a team that's going to play extremely fast. Got a lot of, a lot of youth about them, you know, young energy, confident. They play hard. They shoot a lot of threes. And, um, you know, Rick Carlisle has those guys playing. They play with a lot of confidence. Um, we're going to have to, you know, be sharp. We're going to have to come in. We're going to have to be ready to defend those guys. They spread the floor. They get into the paint. They kick it out. A lot of shooters. They got a shooting big man. So um, we're going to have to be really sharp. It's going to be a good game. Speaking of Damian Lillard, he is now only one three-pointer away from tying former buck Kyle Korver for fifth place on the NBA's all-time list for three-pointers made. The Bucks will continue their six-game homestand tonight with a 7 p.m. tip-off. Coverage will begin right here in WTMJ starting at 6. One day after falling to the New York Giants, head coach Matt LaFleur had some time to look back and reflect on the team's 24-22 loss on Monday night. Spoiler alert, none of it was pretty. Long, hard look at the, the film, and that was a tough watch in every phase. And you try to make the, the necessary adjustments and corrections, and you got to learn from it. So, And then you move on, and it's a quick turnaround. We did get a head start uh, having that additional day last week on Tampa, so that, that helps out a little bit. But ultimately, uh, so we're just in here grinding Tampa, Tampa tape, and you know, moving on. The Pack are on a bit of a short week as they get set to host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Lambeau Field on Sunday. The Pack could be shorthanded as they welcome in the leaders of the NFC South. Absolutely. I think anytime you have more guys that continue to go out, um, certainly it, it puts some stress on you, but um, it's also an opportunity for other guys. And we got other guys in that locker room that are, you know, just would jump at the chance to be able to get on the uh, out on the field and uh, contribute. Two names to pay attention to, receivers Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks. Both left that Giants game on Monday night early. An update should come from Lambeau Field sometime later today. And lastly, we'll stick with the Packers here. The highly anticipated 30 for 30, the Minister of Defense, premiering tonight on ESPN. The film takes a deeper look into the life and career of former Packer and NFL Hall of Famer Reggie White, including never-before-seen footage from an interview filmed in 2004, just two months before his untimely death at the age of 43. The documentary is set to premiere tonight at 8 p.m. And Eric and Vince, have you ever had those cheddar biscuits at Red Lobster? Of course, yes. Could be a big, not to play spoiler here, but it could be a big reason why... Reggie White ended up in Green Bay, so tune in tonight Ooh, at 8 That's a story I have not heard. Me either. <laughs> News to me. <laughs> All right. Check it out. <laughs> 619, coming up, the Trump factor in fundraising for the RNC in Milwaukee. That story next. On this Wednesday morning, the next installment of our podcast countdown to the RNC is online now at WTMJ.com. I led the conversation with Chief Political Reporter Charles Benson from TMJ4 News and Mark Cass, Editor-in-Chief of the Milwaukee Business Journal. One of the things we talked about is the RNC host committee here in Milwaukee is responsible for nearly $70 million in local fundraising in order to put on this event. And while organizers are saying they are on track to make it, the Trump factor may be giving some donors pause, both those who want to see him be the nominee crowned here next summer and those who may not. You know, from what they've told us when we talked to the RNC, when we talked to John Schlipsky, who's running the local effort, it's about he's raised about, about, 
about 15 million locally. Okay. What they're saying in terms of the overall pool is they're on goal. They're not throwing out a number, but they're on. They're they're on. They're where they need to be to hit the 68 million. In terms of where it's coming from, obviously Northwestern Mutual has said yes, we're in. What they've also said is that a majority of the companies who supported the 2020 convention in town, like. Potawatomi, who was at the reception the other night, like a you know, like a Rockwell and a, and a, and others, are going to be in again this year. So I think, but then you also see some out of state. You know, one of the stories we ran recently was on McDonald's. McDonald's is looking very hard at this. And McDonald's a company, obviously all over the world, but is but is in Northern Illinois, is involved with the Chicago event, which is a month later, is also got to do the Milwaukee event because that's what you do. You got to support both R and L, right? You got to go to both parties. So I think you're going to see both national money. And local money here. Charles, we need money from the federal government for security as well. And you have not a great update on the progress that's making through Congress. Yeah, let me uh, get to that. But let me just follow up a little bit sure. what Mark said there. Because we had Reince Priebus in, and he's the guy who's you know really the politically connected guy to help on the fundraising. And, you know, He kept saying to me, he's like, why is everybody focused on the number? I said, because... You know, it's an important number, and they got to make sure they get that number. And he's saying, by all means, uh, that the metrics that they have set up, the reports where they want to be, uh, he, he keeps saying they are where they need to be. So he's not raising any red flags. He's not showing any concerns right now that they will not be able to address the $68 million or get to that. We know because Mark also had the folks in from Cleveland. Uh, to talk about the 26th convention, and they did go down to the wire, right, Mark? I mean, that yes. was a situation they were still dealing yep. with when the convention was happening, and uh, no one here wants to be in that position. Um, yeah, and Charles, don't you think, and I guess I'll ask you this question, some people may be saying, okay, we're in, but let's just make sure it's either Trump or not Trump, and then maybe we're in or not. I mean, I know nobody wants to talk about that, and I know we talked about that last time, but yet I got to believe that's something that's out there that, okay, you know, are we in or not? Well, well let's see who the nominee who the nominee is going to be. I, you know, it, people have always wondered if that is going to be um, something that prevents people from being involved. Uh, you have noticed from the get-go here that people say this is not about the red and blue. It's about, you know, what it means for Milwaukee. And so will they be able to uh, sort of lean in on the civic pride of this event, uh, what it means for the city, and less on the political side of the event? That's what they've been trying to navigate. Right. But that's always a big, big lift in a hyper-partisan environment that we live in and would even get more intense as the calendar flips into 2024. Also in this podcast, Eric's one-on-one with RNC Host Committee CEO Ted Kellner. Everything up online now at WTMJ.com, or you can just text the letters RNC to the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. RNC to 855-616-1620. I will send the link right to your phone. On a short week with the Buccaneers coming to town, the Green Bay Packers talk about injuries. That's coming up in sports with Brandon Snyder at 645. You ever take shop class? Uh, whatever was required. Oh, okay, I guess I was that. never a good-with-my-hands person. I, <laughs> I, I understand. You know I, can, I can respect so, that. So that wasn't my area. Well, there have been auto mechanic classes in high schools, of course, forever, right? Well, now students are learning something new, how to work with electric cars. They see this as something they need to get in front of at some high schools. Uh, Sacramento reporter Andrew Hopner has this. Students will get practical experience and advanced training. We're going to shift our focus to EV to where... Our graduates will be ready 
leaving high school to enter the workforce as entry-level EV technicians, where typically those are more advanced-level courses. It can help those seeking degrees in STEM and those that want to work on cars. So the idea there is, okay, got to start learning how to fix an electric vehicle now. You got to learn the, uh, the basic components of what's going on with EVs now because eventually they're going to become more and more, and you need people to know how to work them, how to fix them, how to utilize them, per se, learning the old tech, which will eventually be phased out. And they're entirely different skills. My wife taught at Hartford for many years, and they had a, a – Automotives class where yeah. you know, like one of the things that that teachers could do is if you paid for you know the parts, they would change your oil That's or do awesome. minor maintenance things like right there for you. And obviously the labor was then free, but you know it was great class for right. students because somebody's got to be in this. But it's you're, you're right, EVs and some of the tech in cars now. It's not like you know our dads or whatever. Oh my gosh, no, you go, so son. Here's different. what we do: we crank it up here. Now you pull this plug. Like and then I always just hit this with the wrench, <laughs> right? And <laughs> a it couple worked. of times, and it then worked. that'll do it. I remember my late father-in-law had me changing. We changed my transmission fluid one time. Wow! Here's the gasket. Here's where we clean That's out. That's bold. Well done. <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't much help. He was trying. <laughs> hey, Toronto, get down. I'm like, hey man, I don't. I don't this is your. You thing. don't need to teach me, man, because I'm never going to do this myself. <laughs> Six thirty-nine on Wisconsin's morning news. And on the heels of Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's visit to Washington appealing for increased U.S. aid is that nation's war against Russia rages on. Ukraine's capital city of Kiev bombarded by ballistic missiles overnight. Congress will continue to debate some $60 billion in additional military aid to Ukraine. President Zelensky made personal appeals for support in meeting with President Biden, as well as members of Congress in Washington on Tuesday. And while some have characterized the effort to push back the Russians as not going well, President Zelensky shared this message at a news conference Tuesday afternoon. No matter what Putin tries, he hasn't won any victories. Thanks to Ukraine's success, success in defense, other European nations are safe from the Russian aggression, unlike in the past. Ukraine can now tackle the Russian dictatorship. So our children and other nations won't have to shed their blood and sacrifice lives defending against Russian aggression. So he was working through prepared remarks in English. By the way, obviously, President Zelensky, a very effective communicator, passionate speaker. He's saying there, there is success in this effort, not just for Ukraine but for broader Europe and the world. And I wanted to play that moment for you because it was in his own voice. But then President Zelensky and President Biden took a few questions from the Washington media. Uh, and Zelensky was asked about discussions of this brokered peace that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, Eventually l- allowing Russia to have something in order to save lives. Yes. And the, the possibility that the slaughter between these two nations might be ended by Ukraine ceding certain territory to Russia to just end this. I thought he gave... An amazing answer that we at least need to think about. He delivered these remarks in Ukrainian. So you'll hear the voice of a translator here. But President Zelensky was clear. This is not clinical to him. It's not lines on a map as it appears to the rest of the world. It's not about territory. It's about people. 
We have our people there. We have our families there. We have children there. That's a part of Ukrainian society. And we are talking about human beings. They are being under tortures. They are being raped. And they are being killed. And those voices which offers to give up our territories, they offers as well to give up our people. That's not a matter of territory. That's a matter of lives, of families, of children, of their histories. I don't know whose idea it is, but I have a question to these people if they are ready to give up their children to terrorists. I think no. So he puts it back on those pushing for this brokered peace. I guess here, if we put it in our terms, what part of America would we be willing to simply hand over to some aggressor? Would Minnesota be a good analogy? Like if Canada took Minnesota? And then we, and we just said, okay, after a couple of years of fighting for it. Right. Who lives in, like my uncle lives in Minnesota. Or my cousins, you know, like family. So you, our people, yeah. American people, yeah. our families, would you hand over your homes, your families, your children in some part of your country to a hostile, immoral, invading force? His answer, I think no. Congress getting set to break for the holidays this week with no deal on funding for Ukraine. 646 Sports Next with Brandon. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. The Marky Bucks will seek out redemption tonight against the Indiana Pacers at Pfizer Forum. The Pacers, the same team that knocked out the Bucks last week in the NBA's in-season tournament. Tip-off tonight set for 7 p.m. Former Brewer first baseman Rowdy Telez will play for a new team in 2024. This after he signed a one-year deal with the NL Central foe, the Pittsburgh Pirates, on Tuesday. And lastly, big news for the Wisconsin Badgers football team on Tuesday. Former four-star recruit and Miami Hurricanes quarterback Tyler Van Dyke announced his intentions to take his talents from South Beach up to Madtown, USA. Van Dyke last played for the Canes and tossed for over 2,700 yards, including 19 touchdowns. It's time for Extra Points, a sports opinion commentary on Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's Brendan Snide. The 2023 stove is on and it is hot as Major League Baseball begins its offseason movement. Earlier this week, news broke surrounding the contract of former Angels MVP Shohei Otani and his new record-setting deal with the L.A. Dodgers. Not sure if this is necessarily surprising to anyone here in Milwaukee, but with the new deal that defers $680 million a decade down the road, it just means the rich just keep on getting richer. Out of the likes of teams like the Brewers, Reds, Rays, Marlins, and Angels, to name a few, ever really truly compete with that? Honestly, ask yourself that. How are these small markets, who some of them, including Milwaukee, have been more relevant than some think supposed to compete with the playing surface that is much higher for teams in LA, Chicago, and New York? Spoiler alert, they can't. It's not fair. I have taken my lumps at the Milwaukee ownership at times throughout my days, and rightfully so, but this deal will now set a real precedent for years to come, a precedent these markets that I just named will never be able to compete with. Plain and simple, it's a very bad spot for this sport that is already laying on its deathbed. At what point, if ever, does Commissioner Rob Manfred take a serious look at what his league has turned out to become? It's honestly a disgrace and has driven the large markets to virtually go out of their way and purchase their way to a World Series. This past summer, our own guy over here, Vince Vetrano, addressed the concerns that small market fans, like ourselves, can look forward to, wondering if the competitive advantage would ever even out throughout Major League Baseball. And, well, in typical fashion, just like his league, the commish failed to answer his question, striking out on rectifying a once-promising sport. 
6.54 this Wednesday morning, there is an absolute reckoning coming with local school spending. And if it's not your district yet, it may be soon. It's uh, parents and students rallying in Kenosha Tuesday night. They were trying to stop the district from closing schools. That year, save Ruther, Ruther Central High School. Well, they did save Ruther, but many other schools will close. As superintendent, I'd love to talk about how we're expanding programs and opportunities for our students and families. But that's not our situation today. That's Jeff Weiss, the superintendent of Kenosha Unified School District, TMJ4 News, at that meeting reporting. It was a two-hour hearing. Some 50 people stood up to talk after which the board did vote to close five elementary schools, a middle school, and then Ruther survives, but there will be some cuts there be reduced by 10 positions. And the superintendent having said earlier that they're staring at a $15 million deficit and declining student enrollment. So this will save about half of that deficit. And the larger point is you may be listening somewhere else and saying, well, that's Kenosha. This may be coming to your school district. I am hearing from many people in education that their budgets are completely out of whack. And we've already heard Tosa schools have been on the record with it. They're looking at the possibility of closing up to two elementary schools in a walk-to-school district that is a hallmark of Wauwatosa. I know because I grew up there. Everybody in Tosa walks to school. Like, that's a thing. So, well, they have a lot of elementary schools. That's a big deal there for them to talk about closing schools. And they're not that far removed from a $120 million referendum right. where they made major improvements to a number of schools. So what is happening? So it's not, it's not going to be just Kenosha. It's not going to be Wauwatosa. If your district isn't talking about closing things or scaling back, they may be talking about in the spring going to referendum and asking for not building projects, but increased taxes to continue funding regular operations. Didn't we just this past budget cycle celebrate what both sides, the governor and Republicans... Yeah, shared revenue. The most... Every community. Historic investment in our children, this big chunk of money that's coming to schools all across the state. Isn't this wonderful? What happened? You want to hear a bite? Yeah, right. Do you have some for that? This is uh, Governor Evers in June. Two weeks ago, I reached agreement with Republican leaders on major provisions of a shared revenue compromise, key portions of which I'm signing into law today. That will mean not only historic increases in support for our local communities, but historic investments in our kids and our schools across Wisconsin. Not historic enough, evidently. So I'm trying to get my arms around this in a nonpartisan way, because I don't want to hear from, you know, Right, left, whatever. I just want to know about the math. What happened with these numbers? I did some asking with some folks who are somewhat in the know. Uh, One person told me his understanding. He was connected to some of these budget things in in government. He just said two things. School districts have long been operating on, and maybe quietly, you know, shoestring budgets. Maybe you didn't think so, but they were making things work with COVID money or whatever they were getting to plug gaps, whatever. And the so-called fiscal cliff that we talked about in Milwaukee County and the city, that's coming to school districts. So they've been making it work somehow, and now it's coming. Anecdotal evidence of that over the years, right? Right. And then the other thing is you have declining enrollment, but also some of that historic investment did go to choice schools. Right. So a big chunk of that money is allowing more students to attend 
private schools, and that money goes with them. So are more kids going to private schools now? I guess they, they could. There's more money going to uh, outside of the public school districts right. that are funded immediately by taxpayers. So I guess you combine those two things, and that's creating this reckoning that is coming. But I think in some places it's been quiet. But start asking around in your community. Start checking in with your school board members, because I think this is coming to a lot of districts in Wisconsin. 658 on Wisconsin's Morning News.